Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the reminder of these words that we've been singing to you and for the benefit of ourselves and our hearts and the benefit of those around us to be reminded of who you are. And, and God, I thank you, and even in that last song, Lord, to be reminded that you go before us. Lord, we come to you this morning, and the range of burdens that we carry is so great. Some are coming this morning feeling guilt and shame, maybe battling depression, anxiety, maybe struggling with addiction, relational issues, maybe financial issues. Lord, maybe even some are here today and say, I feel like this week has been a great week, and wherever we are, you go before us. And Lord, we thank you for the words in that song that no matter what we face, we don't have to fight the way the world fights. Fighting against others, trying to make ourselves look right, be justified, feel significance. Lord, we fight on our knees, lifting our hands to you and saying, you are God. And if you are God, that means we don't have to be. And that is good news because the creator of the universe walks with us. So we thank you for this time, God. We ask, we know you're present. We ask that you'd meet us with your presence in this place. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, God, we want to encounter you. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat for a moment here. My name is Ryan. It's great to be with you here this morning. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, my privilege to serve here as the lead pastor. Uh, it's a joy of mine. Uh, I love this church because I love the people in this church. And uh, I love the way you care for each other and the way you care for the community. Uh, it's such a great place to be and to journey with uh, one another. So thanks for, for being here. Uh, if you are a guest, I just want to give you a warm welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here today. If this is your first time, we'd love for you to let us know you're here. One easy way to do that is you can text in to this number and uh, text in hello, or just go ahead, lift up your phone right now, scan that QR code. It's not weird anymore. And, and so we would love uh, to do that. It'll take you to a Connect card. It'll be our way to find out um, who you are, and we'd love to follow up with you and get to know you and your story a little bit more. And uh, one thing that you'll find at this church is that we exist to help people discover life in Christ. And I hope you'll find that there's incredible people sitting around you who are on that journey of faith. Some are for the very first time. Some have been walking with Jesus for many years, but they care about you and they care about this city. So we're glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you more uh, in, as you go through life. Uh, and another way you can do that is our, we have a guest services table. Uh, out in the plaza. So after the service, if you want to stop by there, that's where our friendliest people hang out. So we're a friendly church, but the friendliest people are out there. So they, they would love to meet you and get to know you more a little bit out there. Uh, I want to just let you know a couple things that are going on. Uh, the first one is this. We get to welcome a couple new members to the church right now. So let's put our hands together for Judith. I think she's out here greeting somewhere in there. And uh, Wayne Ross sitting up here in the front today. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Some of you might ask, well, what is membership? And for us, you know, many, uh, 
you're all welcome. Everyone's welcome to be here. Membership is just that extra step of saying, you know, we believe in the vision and the direction of the church, and we want to commit to being a part of what's going on here. And it's kind of a mutual commitment. It's like this, this act of worship of saying, we choose to journey with this local congregation. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to respond.church. There's a click on membership, and uh, you can find out more about that. We'd love to welcome you in as well. But it's great to have uh, both of you welcomed in as, as members this, uh, today. And uh, one other thing to let you know about, if you are young married, and I don't know what qualifies except for I don't, so I know that, so, but uh, some of our young marrieds are hanging out today after we're kind of beginning this new young married ministry, and some of our leaders are hanging out all together. Sorry, I got to do it. Can you guys just throw your hands up? There's Gavin and Johnny and, yeah, Chloe and Kale, all there. Yeah, they're starting this young married ministry, and they're hanging out at Moonlight Beach today after second service. So if you're not sure you qualify, go hang out with them. And if they tell you like, hey, it's nice meeting you. We'll see you next week at Seacoast. Then you, then you don't qualify. That's how you know if you're young married or not. But uh, yeah, we'd love, they would love to get to know you a little bit more. And if you're looking for community and people kind of in that same life stage, uh, they're going to be doing that. So we'd love to, uh, to invite you to that. That's all we have as far as announcements for you, but what I want you to do is in just a moment, as I said, a friendly church, so hopefully you've already said hi to one another, but I want you to turn and welcome one another, maybe someone you haven't met before, and answer this question, what is the best thing you've done so far this summer? Hey, there you go, you got a minute. My point of view, the things that we say, the trouble it makes, it hurts you and it hurts me too. This is such a fallen where we live in. It's really not the way it's supposed to be What if we could see each other different It'd probably change everything We're all broken people Don't we all need Jesus? Every moment of our lives 24, 3, 6, 5 Our human is equal Don't we all have our weakness? Everybody makes mistakes Everybody needs their grace We all need Jesus Don't we all need Jesus Oh, we all, we all, we all, we all Everybody needs a savior Even the ones who think they don't All right, well, let's continue on with our morning. We made the joke in the earlier service, and I, I, I think one of these days, I got to do it, where when we ask you to greet one another, you guys just keep talking, which is awesome. I wonder what would happen as if I never came up. If you guys just kept talking, and then Dom came up and closed in a song, you guys would be like, that was the best Sunday ever. <laughs> be amazing. Uh, maybe, maybe. We'll pull that out, so... Anyway, well, uh, one of the privileges of, of being a lead pastor is uh, I, love, I love sharing and teaching the Word. And it's, I also love when I get to hear from others, and it gives me a little break from time to time. And so today we have a, a guest who's coming up. And I, it's, it's hard for me to say this because it doesn't sound right, but I moved to Southern California 25 years ago. It's hard to say anything was 25 years ago. I guess I, now I am officially old. And so because I remember that, I was already adulting 25 years ago, before they even called it that. So, yeah, I know. Well, 
I should have been adulting. I should have been. I was a bachelor. Yes, no, I was just, anyway, but I came down here and, and I had got a job at um, EV Free Fullerton. So there's a large church in Fullerton as one of the youth pastors. There was uh, several of us on staff as youth pastors. Uh, it was a huge church. So like even the staff called us, hey, youth guy. Like they didn't even know who we were and we worked there. And uh, we had a great time working there. But one of the first people, I'm, uh, one of the first things I did is our team, we were working in the junior high ministry. We went up to Hume Lake. We rented a cabin and we did some planning. And uh, so we got up there, uh, my boss and then one of our interns and me, we, we got up there early and we checked into this house. And the other person who was working with us, who was like my colleague, coworker, he was coming up later. And uh, so I thought, hey, we're youth pastors, it's funny, we're settling in, so he's going to get there at like one or two in the morning. So I put a note on the door, and this was like a four-bedroom house, there was four of us staying there, and I put a note on the door that said, hey, um, glad you made it up safely, uh, there's not a lot of places to sleep, so you have to share a room with the intern, and I gave him the, said the last room on the, on the right, and there was only one bed in there, and so my colleague went in there and opened the door and saw yeah, the, like a double bed and an intern. He's like, I have to sleep in there with him. And um, that's the friend I'm going to introduce you to now. He's the one who, who came. That was my introduction to him, was my handwriting telling him to go. And there was an empty bedroom, just so you know. But it's youth ministry. So <laughs> anyway, it was a good, hey, oh, so you're Josh. Good. Well, welcome in the morning. So anyway, I want to welcome up uh, my friend who we work together in youth ministry. He's now a pastor over at Emmanuel Faith, and we've known each other for many, many years. And uh, so welcome my friend Josh Rose to teach with us this morning. Did I turn my, I turned myself on. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm just glad that uh, we did youth ministry in the days before they could record all that stuff, right? Before, like, it was forever on YouTube or Instagram or something. So, um, but uh, no, it is such a privilege to be here. Uh, like he said, um, I'm, I'm one of the pastors over at Emmanuel Faith all the way um, in Escondido, but I love this place. Uh, this is actually the second time I've been able to preach here because I have another connection even before Ryan, although I knew Ryan before this connection. Um, that's how far back we go. But uh, the other connection is Pastor Dale Burke. He is my, he's my father-in-law. And so I have the privilege of being married to his best daughter. Um, and uh, no. Um, so, but today I'll, I'm going to be diving back into the series that you guys have been going through. And I've kind of gotten some pieces of it. And I just love it. I love the concept of talking about what we're trying to do here in the Christian life is not to live the religious life. Not to live the, you know, the perfect life, but to live the good life. And I love how we're going to be looking at Galatians 5. And so if you have Bibles, we'd love it to, to jump in there in Galatians 5. We'll go there in just a minute. But kind of the conjunction of Galatians 5, and I think one of Jesus' most profound statements in John 10.10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life have it to the full, have, it, have the good life is what he came to give us. And so I just love how these two things come together. And, uh, and so we're going to dive in in just a minute. But now that I had you turn there, I'm going to take you to a, um, a slightly different passage. You can just hold there for a little bit. You don't have to turn to this one. I'm going to put it on the screen because it's in, uh, in 1 Kings. There's this, um, 
there's this wild scenario, and I want you to think about this. What if this happened to you? What if you were granted one wish? Okay, you could wish for anything you want, anything you want, and you knew it would come true because, not because it's like a genie in a bottle or anything like that, because God himself has asked you to ask for one thing. This happened, okay, 1 Kings 3, verse 5. God said to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you, and I, I'm going to give it to you. Right? Okay, now, if you know the story, okay, don't, don't pretend like you would answer like the spiritual thing that he answered, okay? What would you really ask for, right? I mean, wouldn't some of us, wouldn't some of us ask to fly or like, to, you know, to be a princess, right? Or whatever that is, or for money, or for all the influence, all those things, we, we probably would. And I know that there's a good answer here, um, but my answer would be the only right answer, which is I would ask for more wishes. <laughs> Duh. Duh. Clearly, Solomon needed to ask for wisdom because he didn't have enough wisdom to ask for more wishes. That's how I see it. Um, but no, sure enough, um, Solomon does actually, uh, may, maybe one of, the, um, one of the best decisions of his life, he says, that he, he asks God for wisdom and, and particularly knowledge of how to lead God's people as he's a young king. And that's exactly what God gives him. In fact, uh, in 1 Kings, what it says is that, that God speaks to him and says, Behold, I will give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. In other words, you know, you could have, God recognizes, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for honor, but because you didn't, I'm going to give you that anyways. So I guess Solomon did okay. I guess he had a pretty good answer. But I want to suggest something to you. That wisdom in and of itself was not enough. That actually, I think there was something more that he needed. And that is why I bring up Solomon and to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Specifically, the fruit of the Spirit that I've been tasked to talk about. Because I've been tasked to talk about one of the less, one of the less sexy of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, let's just put it that way, right? This is not one that, uh, that we tend to think of like, yeah, I can't wait for that one. In fact, if you have your Bibles now, I want you to look at Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, and let's get to this verse, okay, because you know, the, but the fruit of the Spirit is, as Paul's saying, as if you remember, he's contrasting the works of the flesh. He's got, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit now are love, joy, peace. Okay, I guess patience isn't all that sexy, but you know, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. That's what we get to talk about, and I actually chose that one. Um, I, I I was looking at the list thinking, I want to try that one. I've never done this before, but um, he says, against such things there is no law, right? These things, these, this, these characteristics make up a fruit of a person who is able to live the good life. And yet, this, was a, this is one that we don't tend to 
like aspire after. Ah, oh, I just can't wait for self-control. Now, we, we don't aspire for it. We don't think it's all that great until we look at the opposite, okay? Because we often, you will relate to this, okay? In fact, um, the most relatable passage in all of Scripture is Romans chapter 7. If you want to read the second half of Romans chapter 7, you will relate to it, okay? I, I promise. Paul, in there, opens up about his own life in a ways that is just profound. He says things like this. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I keep doing, no matter how hard I try, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I hate. You see, the, the word that's translated um, self-control in Galatians and in other places in Scripture is, is the word enkratia, enkratia. Okay, now, um, enkratia, the, the word is really just a compound word. En meaning just in, okay? In, kratia means power or control, okay? So it's either you're in power, you're in control of yourself, or another word that's used throughout Scripture is akratia, which is the opposite of, without, the akratia. So you have the, you have the incratic person and an akratic person. Either you live life that's in control or you live life that is without control. And I think that most people at some level of their life recognize that they are living out of control. Sometimes it's more responding to things. Often it has to do with wanting to be this kind of person, wanting to do this and not doing it. I want to wake up earlier in the morning. I want to, I want to read my Bible and pray every morning. I want to get to the gym. But snooze is really nice. Oh, right? And, okay, thank you. I'm not alone here. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, because I don't think Paul is alone either, right? Um, but I would, I would suggest that, that self-control is one of the hardest to develop, and yet it's one of the most important. In fact, uh, I, was, I was explaining what I'm talking about today um, with my barber on Friday. I, I went to the barber. Thanks for noticing. Thanks, right? Um, and uh, I went to my barber, and, and I've kind of been going to the same barber for a while now, um, kind of gotten to know him. He's not a believer. In fact, this is where you just gotta, you gotta picture this barber with me, okay? He's, he is kind of like a mix of a barber and a bodybuilder, okay? He's huge, right? I mean, you know, muscles bigger than my head, you know, like he's just massive guy. But not only that, he's just got this thick Boston accent and he has tattoos everywhere. He even has this big face tattoo, okay? I mean, this guy's hardcore. So um, I, I'm telling him about this, and, and I tell him, he says, he asked me, so what are you going to tell him? Oh, I told him, I told him I've got to look good because <laughs> I'm preaching at a friend's church. You know, and I, I always try to throw in something to get him talking. Um, and sure enough, he says, so what are you going to tell him? <laughs> I love the way he asked that. Um, and so I'm like, oh, I'm going I'm to tell him about self-control and how hard it is. And he, he just stops what he's doing. He comes around front, you know, because he's in the back of my hair, comes around front, and he's like, bro, that's the hardest one. <laughs> and he says, he's like, and then he says, especially when it comes to anger. 
And that's the moment that I realized that I can never leave my barber. I have to stay with him forever. I'm just kidding. No, he's a gentle, nice guy. Um, but what he gets is, I think, what everybody gets. We all realize that we struggle with self-control. And one of the basic assumptions of this, of self-control, this whole concept, is that I have a self that needs controlling. You know, you have a self that needs controlling. And it needs controlling, not indulging. You see, this is very different than the way that the world thinks about who we are, right? The world will tell you that you have a self and you need to indulge it. You need to do whatever you want. You need to look inside of you and then do it. And that's not, that's definitely not self-control because it's easy to self-indulge. It's very difficult to self-control. In fact, uh, Paul says it, it back in, in Galatians 5, a little bit earlier, uh, he says it this way in Galatians 5, verse 17. He says, one of, I think one of the most profound statements in this super profound passage of Scripture, in Galatians 5, 17, says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, okay? Now he's talking about kind of who we are now in Christ, that we're in this in-between, right? We, we, we have this struggle that those of us, those of you who have trusted in Jesus with your, with your life, the Spirit of God is actually in you. And you have a Spirit now that is in yourself, but it is opposed to this old stuff in you. This flesh, this sinful nature is a, another translation of that same concept. And what it's saying is that they're opposed to each other, that there's this like battle going on. And because of that battle, he suggests that that battle is actually there in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Christian, you are not supposed to do the things you want to do. You're not just supposed to, that's not supposed to be the main reason. Now, hopefully, Lord willing, and one day, one day we will gather together in heaven. And in that day, that day, God's desires will be much more match up to our desires. That what we want to do will be what God wants to do. But in the in-between, we can't be sure because of this battle. And the closer it gets to our heart, closer it gets to what we really want, it's hard to really know if we should trust ourselves or not. That's what he's getting at here. See, self-control is not just doing what you want to do. It's doing what you ought to do. It's doing the right thing when you want to do the right thing. And that's pretty hard. And so most of us fall somewhere between two completely <laughs> terrible ways of fixing this problem. Some people think that it's a problem of their hands, and some people think it's a problem of their head, okay? So we're going to go there, hands and head. Okay, the first, the hands people, they think that if they just, you know, they, they can build self-control by just trying harder, by doing more, okay? We, we, we think, and, and I say we because I do this often, 
if we just focus more, work harder, discipline ourselves in just the right ways, then we will develop self-control. Here, I'd suggest that there's a certain type of self-control that can be earned this way, right? A certain type of self-control. In fact, we see it, the greatest example is like the, the, the world of endurance sports, right? You, you, you've heard of people, okay, running a marathon, which is too much for me, but not just a marathon, like an ultra marathon. Like, there's people who can run 100 miles at like six and a half minute mile pace, okay? That's like faster than most people can run one mile, and they can do it for a hundred miles, okay? That takes self-discipline. That takes a lot of work. And the human body is amazing. And, and people are amazing at what they can do, but that's not the type of thing that Paul's talking about here. And I know that because he uses the phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't use the phrase, the production of the Spirit, or the manufacturing of the Spirit. This is not the hard work of the Spirit. This is fruit. Got me thinking have, about, about fruit and the way it grows. It grows let's, on trees, right? And when's the last time you saw a tree working really hard to produce fruit? <laughs> no. A tree produces fruit because of what a tree is, right? And a tree produces fruit when it's in the right conditions, the right soil, the right sunlight. And when those conditions are right, fruit just happens. Fruit just happens. It's not something that's worked hard for. And so it can't be that. So what are the conditions? What are the conditions that we need to be in in order for fruit to happen. If it isn't hands, maybe it's a problem with our head. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's a problem of the way we think. Maybe there's a problem of a lack of learning. Maybe we should, we just don't know enough. Maybe we need to learn more. Maybe we need some more classes. Or, or you know, maybe, actually, you know, that Pastor Ryan, I heard he went to seminary. Maybe that's what we need. If we just learn more, I think it's, probably learning Greek and Hebrew, right? If we really learn the language of Scripture, then, then I'll know. Then that'll be enough. And on, and on, and on, and on, and on. We can keep learning, and we can keep knowing uh, until everything is known. In fact, the, the rabbinic scholars and traditions of the Jewish people actually um, believe that, that Solomon knew everything that there was to know that he had kind of this endless knowledge. And that's the very reason why I brought up Solomon. Because here was a guy who may have had all the head knowledge. In fact, he also had all the hand knowledge, which is interesting. Because what he had asked for was wisdom, remember? And wisdom has often been defined something like knowledge that is applied well. Okay, so it's, it's a way of taking knowledge and applied. Dictionary.com describes it as knowledge of what is true or right coupled with a just judgment to act it, to action, to do something. Head, hands, together. Solomon had that. 
And the reason I brought up Solomon is not because he was a good example. Bring up Solomon because he might be the least self-disciplined person to ever live. In fact, he's, I, I think he's the, the, most, the least self-disciplined, self-controlled person in our scriptures. Because, sure, he started well. He found favor with God early on. But Solomon was actually kind of the reason that the entire, uh, the entire United Kingdom of Israel was torn apart. Solomon's decision affected everything. Solomon's decision kind of ruined everything. And it wasn't just those decisions. It was his personal decisions that were the worst. You see, Solomon lived a lavish lifestyle, a more lavish than we can even comprehend. And he did so on the backs of his own people that he enslaved. Solomon he wanted, he got, including women. Scriptures tell us that, that he had 700 wives. 700 wives, and just in case that wasn't enough, 300 concubines. This guy was more or less a sex addict who just wanted more. I see that, I want it. I want more, I want more. And not only that, even in, as far as gods go, because here Solomon was this, this one who had spoken to God. And we do know that, that he, he built the first temple, which was a great thing. But the problem is, he also built all sorts of other shrines and other temples to other gods all around Israel. That he kind of started thinking, well, one God is good, why not more? Sure enough, Solomon was a terrible example of self-control. So it can't be just the head. It can't be just the hands. It has to be something else. In fact, I, I was researching this and thinking about this very concept um, and why wisdom does this. How in the world could someone be so wise and yet be so stupid? Actually, I, so I, I Googled this thing. I, I thought to myself, this is like a, it's like a paradox of wisdom. So I, I Google it. You could do this. You can Google paradox of wisdom or, or add Solomon in there or some part. And, and what I found is that there's this concept called Solomon's paradox. That actually psychologists today will talk about this as a, a real concept. In fact, that they use Solomon as a paradigm of this. And it is that one's ability to reason more sensibly about someone else's problems than one's own. And what they say is that they see this and, and they see it in big ways in lots of people, but they see it in little ways in everyone. That all of us, at some degree, have and deal with Solomon's paradox. Okay? Now, we see it on the big scale in big kind of public, public people, right? We just saw it um, a couple weeks ago. Um, Boris Johnson is asked to step down or resigning as whatever the... Prime Minister, that's it. I'm not British, so I don't know. But um, he's asked to, to step down. And, and it's not because of his decisions out there. It ends up having to do with his decisions here. It's his personal decisions. You know, it's as if he can make good decisions there, but he has a hard time here. Right? We can go on and on. Um, Harvey Weinstein, great movies, but terrible personal decisions, illegal personal decisions. They have no self-control. Uh, it's pastors as well. This happens not just outside the church. This happens people who could build huge ministries. I think of people like Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, 
Ravi Zacharias, latest is Frank Houston and from Hillsong, and it's on and on. There's all sorts of these examples of people who could be really kind of helpful even. They could bless people, and yet when it comes to issues of their heart, when it comes to themselves, they have a hard time controlling their self. I think what it points to is a profound problem that we face, and Scripture is clear about it, that um, the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think that the the problem is one that we all face, and instead of, instead of putting it on you, what I'm going to do is just talk about it as me. Because I want to suggest to you that um, I can't fully trust myself in matters of me. I can't fully trust myself in matters of me. And if I'm going to control this self, the first step is recognizing that I can't trust myself. Because especially as it gets close to my heart, I'm just not as wise as I think I am. I may be really good at helping other people, but I have a hard time with myself. So, uh, this is the, the truth is that even Solomon, he knew this. So Solomon, in, in uh, his 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 kind of masterpiece of, of uh, writings that were put together um, called the Proverbs, where he gives all sorts of wisdom. Um, all throughout Proverbs, we see this. For instance, in, in, uh, he's, it's like he's shouting, don't trust yourself. He knew that, but he didn't apply that. So he'd say things like, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, is prideful, but humility comes before honor. That he's saying, hey, be humble, but he was the least humble pe- person. In Proverbs 6, verse 20, it says, uh, My son, keep your father's command, commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. This is, this is like a, a father and, and mother and father pleading with a teenage kid. Okay, all, all parents of teenagers, myself included, say, I know, I recognize that. Pleading with the kids, just listen to something other than yourself. A mom and dad saying, please, listen. They say, bind these teachings on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. You see, Solomon recognized that if we don't have someone else that we're listening to, we're going to listen to ourselves. And what Solomon is pointing out is a truth that we all have to recognize. And that is that my feelings are lousy leaders. My feelings are just lousy at making decisions and leading me. Because anytime I get close to this, it's too close to myself. I, I, just, I just make the bad decisions. Feelings are lousy, lousy leaders. And yet... He knew this, so Solomon, like I said, knew this in Proverbs 27, 19. Points out something about feelings, though, okay? Because we, we can't just disregard feelings. Feelings are important. We just can't allow them to lead us. And sadly, I, I've, I've seen way too many couples that I've, I've counseled where one of them says something like, well, I just feel like, and it could be anything. I feel like I'm not happy. 
I feel like I'm not loved. I feel like there's someone else. All these things. And then if they let the feelings lead them, that's what drives them into trouble. But Solomon recognized that, like I was saying in, in Proverbs 27, 19, he says, as in water, okay? As in water, face reflects face. You can look into a water and you can see your face is what he's saying. So the heart of man reflects the man. Same way what he's saying is the heart reflects who you are. So feelings, well, they're lousy leaders. I'd like to suggest that they are marvelous mirrors into our soul. Marvelous mirrors telling us about who we are. That, that if you want to know who this self is that needs controlling, guess what? If you, if you follow, if you listen to those feelings a little bit, you, you start looking at them and start looking at, oh, wow, Josh, I can't believe you said that. Why, why, why did, did I say that to my wife? Why did, I, why did I yell at my kids? Why did I have those lustful thoughts? What's going on in me? That's what feelings are for. And actually, the, even the research, the psychological research um, on par- Solomon's paradox will tell you that the, the more you can get outside of yourself, and you can even talk about yourself in the third person, why does Josh talk that way to his kids? It's interesting. You make better decisions outside of yourself than you do in here. And I think this is exactly, this is exactly what Paul's getting at in Romans 7. This is exactly what Solomon was telling people but not realizing for himself. And this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes because the truth is that I've got to get outside of my, myself because my perspective is biased. It is painfully biased. If anything, this is what we've learned these days is that we are biased people, that we have been grown up and taught a certain way. And we think that our way is the best way. Often we think our way is the only way. But we've got to get outside of ourselves. We've got to find perspective on things, and especially as it's close to our heart. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Whoever, people think they're right until someone else comes. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own wise, wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Solomon knew this stuff. You think you're wise? Well, yeah, there's more hope for a fool. Because here's Solomon who was given wisdom, but he lived as a fool. Anytime in Scripture when that phrase comes up that people did what was right in their own eyes, that meant that that was a society going downhill. That that was a people group who were making all sorts of wrong decisions. That's never what we're supposed to do, is do what is right in our own eyes. That just means that they, we need to develop self-control, not doing what's right in our own eyes, but what is doing right in God's eyes. And so while my perspective is biased, the truth is that others can often see my blind spots. This is where perspective comes in. I need others to see my blind spots. This is why we, we need each other 
This is why I'm so glad you're here. And actually, one of the things I, I commented to Ryan uh, earlier today, as, as I saw you guys talking, as I saw you guys uh, mingling, okay, he says, greet each other. Okay, and um, I, I hate to say in my church, um, when we do that, it's kind of like, hi, real quick. It's like 10 seconds of greeting real fast. You try to get as few as many as possible, and then you sit down, and you're ready. And I'm sitting here as you guys are all, all greeting and talking to each other for so long. I'm like, um, I'm on a time limit. Okay, I've got to, you know, I, I need the time. But I started thinking, man, what a great thing that you have to stop people from connecting with each other, from opening up. And, and I want to tell you all the more we need that. Okay, you need the, the, the group of young marrieds to, to look at each other, to, to see each other, to see each other's blind spots. But you need to have the courage to open up about that. This is what we need, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, because the truth is that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, okay? That's another one of Solomon's wisdom that he just didn't apply. The fact is we do need people in our lives. We need small groups. We need, we need coaches. We need leaders, okay? We need church. You really need a team of people around you. That's what we all need, but I want to suggest that that's not enough. That, that'll never be enough in and of itself. Because in all of those, you could still work really hard with your hands, and you could do okay. You could work really hard with your head, and people will say, wow, man, that person's really smart. But the fact of the matter is, it's got to go from your hands and your head to your heart. It's only out of a changed heart that we can actually develop self-control. The funny thing is that Solomon even knew that. Solomon in chapter 1, verse 7, he kind of, the, the whole book of Proverbs, this is like the summary statement. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and he's recognizing that what God had given him was knowledge, but that knowledge was no good without the fear of the Lord. He's pointing out some amazing things about knowledge, that it, it, it has to be based on the truth of the way reality actually is, and the way reality actually is is that God's at the center of all that. And not only just God, not just like you know, higher power, because he doesn't say that... It, that that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. He actually uses the personal name of, of God, of the God of the Bible. He uses Yahweh. That it's the fear of the God of the Bible, of Yahweh, that, that is the beginning of knowledge. He's making a profound statement. It's a very narrow statement that he's making. But why fear? I got to admit to you, I don't like that word. I don't like that word. I, I, want, I want other words. I kind of like the love of the Lord. It's not untrue. But fear is something different, isn't it? In fact, you probably heard, you may have heard people talk about the fear. It could be talked about as awe and respect. It could be talked about just the, the, the honor that we give God. But it's kind of hard to sum up. And I want to suggest that it's hard to sum up because it's not just something in our head, that it's something that has to get down to our heart. In fact, the, the best way I can describe that word is a story that I hope will tug at your heart. It's a story that's a kid's story. 
it's a kid's story that I think we still need to learn from. I still learn from. I just love so much. Um, it's one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, who in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the first book he wrote, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is the time when Lucy, one of the main characters, learns about Aslan. But she learns that Aslan is a lion. And she's not too comfortable with that. So she says, she says to Mr. Beaver, because it's a kid's story, she's talking to a beaver, and she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, wouldn't we all? That you, de- that you will, dearie. Make no mistake, Mrs. Beaver said. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then, then isn't, isn't he safe, Lucy says. Safe, Mr. Beaver says now. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. <sighs> All I can say what that does in us is rise up to say that there's a scary, unsafe lion. And that, that, that God is not safe with us. It, he may make you do all sorts of things. He may ask you to do all sorts of things. He may ask you to go somewhere and tell him about Jesus. He may ask you to go around the world. He may ask you to go across the street. He may ask you to give more than you can give. He may challenge you to do things that you're going to say, that's just not safe. And yet, we do so, and we follow, because he's good. Because he's the king, I tell you. We do so because what he's done in us is give us a heart. A heart that has changed. It's not just going to be done with our hands although our hands are going to be involved. It's not just going to be done with our head, although I hope you learn something. It's going to be done out of a heart that has changed. You know, Jesus would talk about Solomon. In fact, Jesus mentioned that uh, although Solomon was wise, he said, uh, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What Jesus was saying is that he was the one greater than Solomon. That yeah, there was no one like Solomon of his kind, but there's a new kind. And this new kind gives us a new heart. And it's out of that new heart that we live. That that's how we can develop self-control. That's how we can de- control this self because it has, it's not about our heart, but it's about gaining a new heart. You see, we can't, we can't earn this heart. We can't live for this heart. We have to live from this heart, out of a new heart that, that Jesus has been given. And in some sense, it's not even our heart anymore. It's his heart. And so you want to control yourself. We've got to get outside of ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. Get outside of ourselves. Look to the new heart that we've been given in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord. I do ask and plead with you that you would give us your heart. Lord, I pray that we can get outside of our selfish thinking, 
our biased perspective. I pray we wouldn't rely on our own smarts, our own wisdom, even those of us that are really good at helping others. I pray that we would look for trusted people in our lives who can see our blind spots. But ultimately, I pray that we would take on your heart, learn from you. We thank you so much for what Jesus has done on the cross. You gave yourself for us to give us a new heart, to give us a new perspective. I pray, the Lord, that we would live into that. We would live from that. In Jesus' name we pray.